Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. So an example of Indochino's suits are with R.J. Barrett and you know the Knicks player, rookie. His, he wore a pink suit to the draft that got a lot of notoriety on Twitter and online. That was an Indochino suit. And all the formal wear that he's been wearing for tunnel walks and other events and things like that are all Indo, Indochino suits and blazers. So definitely check that out to kind of get an idea. But you can also go to Indochino.com. And really, their process is simple. You choose your fabric, you pick your customizations, and then you submit your measurements. Um, your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. Shipping is free, and you can get measured and design your suit at your nearest, nearest Indochino showroom, or you can just do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. And right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, again, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. This is an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. Go ahead and check out Indochino.com today. Blue Wire. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Trench Warfare Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Thorne, and this podcast is presented by our sponsors, Harry's, Indochino, and Roman. This week, I'm going to be starting a new segment for... I'm going to be going over my weekly film study and just sharing with you some notes and some observations and big takeaways that I have from the week. And we just had week 10 pass us by uh, on Monday with the Seahawks and 49ers ending an awesome week of football. Probably the best week so far, honestly. There was a lot of really, really good games. Um, And that was with a lot of teams on bye weeks as well. So uh, I think... You know, once November and December hit, that's really, you know, you've heard this elsewhere, I'm sure, but that's kind of when football season really starts uh, in a lot of ways. I think that's when we can really see football being played at the highest level because, you know, with preseason being what it is now, the offseason being what it is, I think it takes at least like five, six weeks, you know, into the year before we really start seeing teams play at, you know, kind of their optimal level and then after the midway point, a lot of teams make some key adjustments. You know, I, I think about the Falcons in the game that they just had against the Saints, winning 26-9. to nine. Uh, You know, they were coming off a six-game losing streak. The Saints were coming off a six-game winning streak. And, you know, division game, you know, out of, you know two weeks off, off the midway point of the year, the Falcons were desperate, obviously. Dan Quinn's trying to save his job. He makes some defensive changes. Uh, I believe he brought Raheem Morris over from his wide receiver coach position back to the defensive side, which is kind of his roots. Um, They had kind of a unique setup there from what I've read as as far as they had one guy calling defense on first and second down, and I believe Morris was calling it on third down, something like that. So, you know, just making adjustments like that, and, you know, they come out and their defensive line plays a really good game. Adrian Claiborne, Tack McKinley, Grady Jarrett, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this defensive line isn't that bad, even though, you know, the first nine weeks of the year, they couldn't really sniff the quarterback, aside from Grady Jarrett. So it's like, you know, these are 
I think it's important to remember that all these teams are, are professionals. They consist of professionals and they all get paid um, to do this. And really, I know it's a cliche, but I think for the most part, uh, you know, it's it's true that really on any given week, anything can happen, especially kind of at this midway point, this crux of the season where teams are, you know, they if they lose one more game, their chances drop even lower than they already are at making the playoffs or, you know, getting to 500 or whatever, you know, is, is needed for that coach to save his job. And, um, you know, I, so I, I just thought that it was a really interesting week and I'm still, I, I still have two more games to watch. I haven't really looked at uh, Baltimore, Cincinnati or Detroit and Chicago yet, but I've, I've pretty much watched all the other games. And, uh, you know, I want to start with, really the player that stood out most to me <clears throat> this week, and that was Chandler Jones from the Cardinals. So they lose a close game to the Bucks, 27-30. to 30. The Bucks, you know, I think were coming off of a four or five game away uh, stretch there. So that this is their first home game in, in quite a while. And the Bucks, you know, are, are a very desperate team themselves. Um, you know, Arizona, I think is, you know, everyone wants to win, but I think Arizona is, you know, more so set up for the future and Tampa, you know, they, they're kind of more in a win now type of mode. Um, so they pull out a close game, but Chandler Jones, he had a, a sack in this game coming off the right tackle, DeMar Dotson, where he reached around with his 35 and a half inch arms, gets Jameis Winston's arm, gets a strip sack. He leads the NFL this year, by the way, in force fumbles with five, um, and he has 24 career force fumbles. I mean, his long arms and the way he uses them, those reach around sacks, uh, if you will, that that he has been accustomed to to to, to notching in his career. I, I don't think is matched across the league. Uh, so it, it makes it really difficult for if you're an offensive lineman trying to push him up the arc or past the pocket, whatever you want to say, um, <clears throat> when you have a guy who can literally just reach around you and you know kind of just nick the quarterback touch him force him to hitch or even just get his hand on the ball uh that's something that Chandler does at a very high level uh he he's a very unique pass rusher that I think doesn't does, you know doesn't get enough credit I mean he led the NFL in sacks in 2017 um I believe you know he's on his fifth year in a row of double double digit sacks sixth of his career uh, he has 88 and a half sacks uh, since 2012. I mean, this guy has been consistently very, very good. Uh, he's tied for the NFL lead this year in sacks uh, with 11 and a half um, while leading the league in forced fumbles. So, you know, he's having another great year. Uh, this is a guy who wins from both sides of the line of scrimmage. He wins with speed and power. He can win inside, outside, down the middle. Everything's kind of predicated off of his long arm technique. Uh, which, you know, with his length and his ability to use his hands as well as he does, it's it's pretty deadly, all the counters that come from that. Um, so he's one of the most difficult guys to prepare for. I mean, at the Offensive Line Masterminds uh, event that I've been to the last two years down in uh, Frisco, Texas, um, you know, Chandler's been a, you know, a guy that we've discussed in depth as a group you know, with, uh, you know, about 30 or so NFL offensive linemen or, you know, this past year we had some college guys like Garrett Bradbury, Eric McCoy, uh, you know, I mean, they're centers, but, you know, we all talk about basically, you know, I, I break down the top 10 or 15 interior rushers and the top 10 or 15 edge rushers. I watch every pass rush snap of them. I record 
and chart their top pass rush moves and then I cut up video and put them in descending order, um, label them all, and I do that for all those players. And Chandler Jones is a guy that I've, I haven't missed a snap of in the last three years, uh, including this year. And he's a guy who, he, he's one of the best pass rushers in the league. You can make a very strong case that he's number one and he has been for, you know, three, four years now. So, I mean, it's pretty incredible how he wins and what he does. Um, and then this week, you know, he had that sack against DeMar Dotson coming off the right tackle, but he predominantly is kind of known for and has most of his production, I think, off the left tackle. <clears throat> and he had an incredible rush against Donovan Smith, the Bucks' left tackle, where instead of, you know, giving him his long arm, he kind of shows it and then takes it away really quick. Offensive line do this all the time. Tackles do this all the time. It's called the flash or the bait technique where they're basically presenting a hand in the guy's face, in the rusher's face, and they take it away real quick. And the whole idea of it is is to create some deception and to throw off the timing of the rusher because footwork, footwork and hands, that syncing up your hands and your feet as a pass rusher is everything. I mean, you know, after the get off, right before contact, that's really what allows you to have success on any given rep is the timing of everything. So if you can just throw it off for a second as a tackle, uh, it, it can really, you know, help you and just, you know, kind of make you unpredictable. And that's a huge part of being a really good offensive lineman in the league and a defensive lineman. You don't want to have too many um, trends or, you know, you don't want to have too many tells or, you know, things like that on film. You want to try to mix it up and just be hard to prepare for. So the fact that Chandler is doing this and he's he has a lot of deception in his game, a lot of hesitations, a lot of stutters, a lot of jab steps. I mean, this is how he gets offensive linemen off balanced and then before he attacks them. Um, and, you know, he probably does that more than anybody. I mean, if you watch him on film, it's pretty dramatic uh, how he kind of like moves and like weaves with his body. It's it's really fun to watch. Um, and I can only imagine how difficult it is to block and prepare for. Um, but he had this one against Donovan Smith where he flashed the hand and Donovan tries to snatch it, you know, because if rushers give, your long, give, give the long arm, offensive tackles oftentimes are taught or they want to just snatch it. They just basically take their inside hand or their outside hand um, and they just try to come down and basically make a fist and try to punch either the wrist or the elbow or the hand. And that, you know, if, if a rusher is leaning with that uh, long arm, he's just going to fall on his face. But the fact that Chandler reversed this and kind of flipped it, flipped it on its head, and he was the one who gave the hand, took it away, and Donovan whiffed on his snatch and snatch and trap, and he fell on his face, and then Chandler went inside, and Donovan had to stick out his leg to stop him from sacking the quarterback. The trip didn't get called. Uh, it didn't result in a sack, but you know Jameis had to bail the pocket, and it was one of the most incredible rushes you'll ever see. Definitely one of the best of the year. I posted it on Twitter, um, and Chandler actually retweeted it and said, don't be giving away my ish. Uh, which I thought was really cool that, you know, he's even looking at my stuff and um, that he would say that. <clears throat> but, you know, it was really one of, I think that's just, it's really cool for me. The coolest part about that for me, that exchange on Twitter and everything, is the fact that people are now seeing 
more so what makes Chandler so special because, and I wanted to talk about this a little bit, you know, in this show is the idea of sacks and what they mean. I think generally when you look at the NFL sack leaders each year, it'll give you a good idea of who the best pass rushers are in the NFL, but you have to look beyond that um, because sacks don't tell the whole story. Sometimes you'll see some of the best pass rushers you'll ever see, and it doesn't result in a sack. Sometimes you'll see weak pass rushes that result in sacks, whether it's an effort sack, they give really good effort, maybe it's a coverage sack, maybe the quarterback just a lot. You see this a lot especially with quarterbacks who aren't in like that top five to 10 range. And even some who who are, they'll just run into a sack. Uh, So sacks kind of give you a good idea. Cause like right now you look at the top five in sacks right now, it's Shaquille Barrett, Chandler Jones, Preston Smith, Miles Garrett, TJ Watt. Now, you know, Shaquille Barrett's having a career year. He's having a great year and, and, you know, not to take anything away from him. um, But if you look at the last few years, there's some guys that aren't in this list that if you were just saying I need a pass rusher for one game and you're ranking kind of like the overall guys, you know, like Von Miller, he's nowhere in like the top 25. Um, that doesn't mean that he's not having a very good year. I think he's top five in pressures right now. Um, <clears throat> so things like pressures, hurries, quarterback hits, uh, these are all things you want to look at. But none of it can really... It can all kind of lead you in the right direction, but you really have to watch the film to have that ultimate um, differentiator that's going to really identify who the best guys are. And a guy like Chandler, even though he's tied for first in sacks, that play against Donovan Smith didn't result in the sack. And, you know, I don't believe anybody was really talking about that play before I highlighted it. And that's not to say, you know, I'm out here, you know, the only one who's highlighting, you know, these great plays or whatever. But in terms of offensive and defensive line, that's really why I joined Twitter and why I've been able to build a niche is because a lot of things go unnoticed in on the line of scrimmage. And they have for, you know, the, the history of football, basically, unless you're sacking the quarterback or giving up a sack. Most of the time, people don't really care about what's going on, you know, in the, you know, in the trenches. Uh, so it's been really cool to, to highlight some of these plays like the one from Chandler and like so many others that kind of just pass by each week and just kind of disappear like they've never happened outside of the team. And, you know, team film study, you know, of course, they're appreciated in the building. But I like kind of bringing that and shining light on it outside of the building in the media. Um, and it's really cool to be able to do that. So that that Chandler Jones clip was was really, really outstanding and one of the best sacks or excuse me, one of the best pressures you'll ever see. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years and the secret to a great shave, it's really about getting a sharp, durable blade at a fair price. And that's what you can get with Harry's. So Harry's is really a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just $2 per blade. So they've cut out the middleman at Harry's and they manufacture their blades in their own German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. So this means that you can get high quality blades at a factory direct price and it's super convenient as well. So blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule and you don't need a subscription. There's no risk to you. If you don't love it, you can let them know and they'll give you a full refund. And then listeners of my show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. 
In this you'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Just go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. So, but with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and get a free online visit, free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. And, you know, some other things this week that I wanted to talk about, <clears throat> I have my notes here. Um, there was, you know, a really incredible game in terms of defensive line play that happened in the Steelers and the Rams game. Now, there's a lot of context here that needs to be said, I think, up front. So the Steelers defensive line, first of all, they had one of the most dominant games you'll ever see. I mean, they didn't blitz a whole lot either. Uh, I think like less than 30% of their snaps. Um, and really, they just ran a lot of games up front. And part of the reason they were able to have so much success is, yes, the Rams offensive line has been below average this year for the most part. But Brian Allen, their starting center, went out. So they had to slide Austin Blythe over to center. And then they had David Edwards at left or right guard. Um, and then left guard, they had Austin Corbett. And then later on in the game, they had another injury and had to make another replacement or another adjustment. So they had three different interior combinations in the game for a total of seven different offensive linemen who played. That's just important to point out because it's part of the reason why the Steelers were able to be so dominant. However, it's also important to point out that the Steelers' defensive line is, you know, one of the top five or six units in the league this year, period. So they were probably going to have a really good game regardless. But it really kind of allowed it to go to another level, and they just created utter chaos in the game. I mean, it was pretty incredible to watch. Javon Hargrave was just he, – he stood out to me more than anybody. I mean, T.J. Watt's making an, uh, an ascension this year. He had some really nice rushes. He does a really nice job of clearing the hands of pass – protectors he did that against Rob Havenstein the way he's able to kind of jump and clear his hands and kind of trap his hands as he corners um doing things like that is are pretty impressive um, techniques that he's showing this year that's allowing him to win more as a pass rusher as opposed to just winning on effort sacks and uh it's he's always been a very good run defender but he's really kind of went to another level this year as a pass rusher um, so that stands out, but Javon Hargrave, the way he was uh, running gap exchanges, 
And I don't even know if they were gap exchanges necessarily. He was just kind of backdooring things, um, you know, against the Rams' outside zone scheme, wide zone scheme, um, instead of, you know, trying to fight on the front side and prevent getting reached, he would just undercut guys. And, I mean, you know, that that was just, you know, pretty much dominant and, the, you know, the, the interior couldn't really deal with it. Um, and then on the other side, I mean, Aaron Donald, holy crap, I mean, he he pretty much like dominated David DeCastro, who I consider a top five right guard in the NFL. Uh, but that just goes to show you that Aaron Donald is still the best defensive player in the NFL for my money, um, regardless of what the numbers say. If you put on the film and watch Aaron Donald play and you watch other defensive tackles play like Fletcher Cox, uh, you know, Grady Jarrett, Geno Atkins, Chris Jones, anybody, Aaron Donald is the best. Um, <clears throat> and I think he's just the most dominant player, period, really. Um, and that game, I think, in Week 10 really shows that. What he was able to do to David DeCastro uh, is pretty incredible. And it just proves that nobody is safe going against Aaron Donald. Um, <clears throat> so that, that really stood out in that game. And then, you know, a couple guys that I think don't get enough credit. One guy in particular for the Cardinals, again, was in my notes, and he's flashed all year, is Corey Peters. Now, he plays defensive tackle, uh, a lot of nose tackle for the Cardinals, and he's a guy who really stood out to me in 2017 when I was writing for Bleacher Report. I did. I was a part of the NFL 1000 project that they did where they hired a team of you know, scouts to basically watch every rep of the position that they were assigned to of every player and then grade them, rank them, and basically write a little summary scouting report on every guy. And I had defensive tackle. So that that really helped me kind of build my base of knowledge of the league because I watched every rep of every player. It took me about two, two and a half months to do that. And I mean, it was probably the most fun or one of the most fun things I've ever done since I've been working in football over the last five years. Probably my favorite single project. Um, you know, it didn't hurt that, you know, we got paid uh, pretty well to do it as well. Uh, that made it more enjoyable. But just to, I had that gave me the, it, you know, the initiative, the excuse, if you will, to sit down and watch football all day for two and a half months. So, I mean, like, that's the dream job right there. Um, and I got to watch line play, you know, to to, to make it even better. Uh, so I got a really good handle on the top interior defensive linemen in the league. And Corey Peters was a guy, I believe I had ranked like top 25. I watched 104 defensive tackles. And uh, he was like top 25, top 30, I want to say. I don't have his stuff in front of me, but you could just Google NFL 1000 defensive tackles and you'll, you know, you'll be able to read it. But this year, uh, I think, you know, in 2017, when I watched him, he was very good. Um, does a really good job against the run. He's, you know, if you watch him against Travis Frederick, some of the stuff that he's done against him over the years has been really impressive. Anytime you have... Uh, an elite player at their position and you have a guy flashing against them that's really notable uh, he's done that a lot in his career and 2018 from what I saw of him I didn't watch every rep or anything like that but I you know watched the Cardinals defensive line a lot because I watched Chandler um, he didn't seem to be the same uh, last year you know as much as 2017 but this year I thought he, so far, you know, through 10 weeks, he's been very good. And this past week against Tampa, I mean, 
he's a lot he's a load to deal with in the middle i mean he's very strong he plays really good leverage he holds up very well against uh double teams and he does a really nice job of keeping his chest clear and really stacking guys uh shedding reading the ball um and maintaining his gap and he he kind of naturally two gaps really well as well so um he's he's just an underrated player that doesn't get talked about i don't think enough and then another uh, nose tackle for tampa uh vita vea um man i mean this guy you know most people know him he's first round pick i mean you know expectations were high with him it took him you know until this year i think uh to really kind of flash the way that you want to see from a high pick like that but I mean this guy's enormous um and he's a great athlete uh so it's pretty freaky what he does on the football field I mean this guy just engulfs centers I mean it's crazy you know you watch him against Matt Paradis uh this year I mean gosh it's just like you know against Arizona I mean they have AQ Shipley who's an undersized guy I mean he just like he looked like a little like a little kid trying to move around Vea in the middle. And then they used, um, you know, Vea on uh, offense as well in the goal line, uh, on the goal line packages that they were running um, a couple times, kind of, uh, you know, attached up on the end of the line of scrimmage, not as a fullback, but really as like an extra tight end. Um, and he, you know, had a couple nice blocks there as well. Uh, so he's, he's just a fun player to watch. Now, you could still, you know, I, I remember last year people were getting on Tampa because it's like how can you pass up Derwin James you know for him and I still would agree like how can you pass up Derwin James for him I mean in hindsight it's 2022 but um you know and Derwin plays a more valuable position and you know he's a chess piece and you know he, he Derwin is Derwin he's a superstar um hopefully he can get back soon and kind of get back to that level but um still it, it's nice to see if you're a Tampa fan that even though you may have you know passed up a more valuable player in hindsight, maybe even in the moment, it still looks like you're going to be getting a very good player if he continues to build on what he's doing because he's also rushing the passer a little bit too. I mean, he's flashed some nice moves. He had a spin against Matt Paradis. That was nasty. I think I read that he said that he didn't ever really even practice it either. He just kind of felt it in the moment and used it, and it was just like, holy crap, um, on film. It was like, oh, my gosh, this dude's like 350 out here spinning on guys, but um, and it looked good. So he's he's just a, a fun player to watch, really. Um, and that interior is a problem with him him and Sue in the middle. I mean, that's that's um, you know a lot to deal with if you're an uh, interior offensive lineman. So uh, it's kind of fun what's going on there, um, despite their record and, and things like that. Another thing is their offensive line, Tampa's offensive line, their interior, they don't have one Division One player. I don't know if that's ever happened before in the NFL. I said this, I think, after week one or two. You know, it was like, holy, I mean, Duke Bannyweather was the first to actually point that out in a group text. So credit to him. But um, after week one, I, I did a highlight video on their interior. And I was like, man, this, this has a chance to be fun this year. And I think they've been pretty fun. Um, you know, Kappa broke his arm a few weeks ago and missed a couple games. So it kind of, um, you know, hurt them a little bit there. But Jensen's having maybe the best year of his career. Uh, that last year in Baltimore was really good, too. But he's having a really good year. And then Ali Marpet, in, in my opinion, is a top three left guard in the game. 
Um, his grip strength is incredible. Uh, really good anchor, um, and he's a good run blocker as well. But, man, his anchor and grip strength are something special. Him, Richie Incognito, and Quentin Nelson, I think, are the top three left guards in the game. Um, so Ali Marpet's a guy I always try to watch every week um, just to kind of monitor his, his game and, and kind of how he's doing each season. Uh, so it's pretty cool that they don't have a Division One guy on the interior, though. I think that's a point of pride for them as well. Um, I've talked to Ryan Jensen. He's been on this podcast, and um, you know we've talked about that before. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool um, that you know nobody really you know talks about that, but I think it's notable. Um, another game that I watched was Minnesota Dallas. Now you know most people watch it. That was a, you know Sunday night game, um, and you know Minnesota just gashed their defense. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys defense this year has been really disappointing, uh, in my opinion, especially at the front seven. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence is still an outstanding player, regardless of what the numbers say you watch him. I mean, his motor runs red hot all game. I mean, and he's one of the most skilled pass rushers in the game today. His Euro cross chop, Euro step cross chop move that he has is just filthy. Uh, he got somebody in that game with it. I think it was Brian O'Neill. I think Brian O'Neill went out in that game, possibly, if I remember correctly. I'm not sure, but he got him with a nasty one. He got Lane Johnson a few weeks ago, um, and I think most people saw that. Uh, so, yeah, his cross chop is something serious. But And Malik Collins is having a pretty good year. Uh, you know, I watched him in 2017, and I was really down on him. Um, but he's he's taken his game to another level this year. And their defensive line certainly has good players and a lot of good flashes. Um, but that interior overall, um, I think they need a nose tackle pretty bad. Um, at least, I mean, if you watch them, you know, like against Minnesota and just in previous games this year, I mean, they get pushed around too easily on the interior. Uh, and then their linebackers are probably the most disappointing aspect of their team. Um, you know, Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderesh, I mean, they're just inconsistent. Sometimes they look great, sometimes they don't. Last year, they both looked great the whole year almost. And I was like, oh my gosh, this this defense has, you know, maybe the best linebacking core in the league. You know, and that was heavily talked about. But, I mean, it just seems like, I know Vanderesh has dealt with some injuries. He missed a game. And, you know, maybe maybe they're dealing with some stuff, you know, that's kind of taken their game back a little bit, you know, but it's hard to make that too much of an excuse because everyone's kind of hurt at this point. Um, but it just seems like Leighton Vanderesh isn't seeing the game as quickly as he did last year. He's slow to react on a lot of plays. I mean, Pat Elfline on one play put him on his back because um, he was just slow. It was a stretch play to the right. Elfline climbed up to cut off the second level, and Vanderesh was just kind of like just slow to key, you know, read his keys and key and diagnose the play. Um, so I don't know what's going on there, but, um, and then offensively, you know, Dak Prescott looked incredible. Um, the offensive line played pretty well. Everson Griffin and Tyron Smith. I mean, what a battle that was. Everson Griffin got him on like three inside spins. I mean, Griffin is, you know, he's a guy that I've talked about a lot on my Twitter account and I've been interviewed about him for other articles, but pretty much after week one, I said on Twitter, like he's back. Because, um, you know, once you turn on the tape in week one again for uh, the Vikings and watch Everson, once you see that elite get off back and you see the level of violence that he's playing with at the point of attack, it's like, OK, he's back. That's 2017 Everson Griffin. And it just seemed, you know, as the years played out, he he's certainly proved that. I think they have the best edge rushing tandem in the NFL right now. 
uh, Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin. There's a couple other teams that can make a case, but I, I think, you know, I'm firmly in the camp that Minnesota has the top duo there. And it's cool because in, leading the NFL right now in snaps for defensive linemen, one and two are Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter. That's pretty incredible. So these guys are playing more than any other two defensive linemen across the entire NFL, and they're playing at the level that they're playing at. Um, it's remarkable the the type of production that they're getting, considering their usage rate, if you will, uh, of them. So, yeah, I mean that was a fun battle against Tyron, and then Lael Collins against Daniel Hunter was a good battle. I think, you know, Griffin probably got the better of Tyron, you know, more often than not, um, you know, just in terms of a you know pass rusher versus pass protector battle. Um, but I think Leo Collins uh, pretty much got Hunter, you know, for the most part. The thing is, at the top of the rush, Daniil Hunter is so good at as soon as the quarterback, hit his his back foot hits, and as soon as he reaches the top of his drop, Daniil Hunter is so good about getting, you know, stopping, planning, and getting back inside. And that's kind of where, where Collins had some trouble with him. I was at the top of rushes, but I mean, I think for the most part, Collins played really well, and there's a case that Collins is the best right tackle in the league this year. I mean, I, I would probably go Ramcheck uh, for the Saints, but you can certainly say that Collins is a top five right or top five or even three right tackle right now in the game. Um, so he's having definitely the best year of his career um, at right tackle. But you know, there's just some you know, I just wonder when I watch that game, like why Dallas didn't run duo more. Um, especially because Limbaugh Joseph did not play in this game. Like, if you're the Cowboys and you have a top three offensive line, which I think they do, I mean, you have to really lean on it. And, you know, the only time they were running was on first down. It's like every first and ten they were running it. And it was just people on Twitter were saying it, and it was just, like, so obvious. I mean, I don't know, like, Kellen Moore if he truly is calling every single play, it's like sometimes this guy looks like he's the next, like, you know, like McVay, Shanahan or whatever. But then sometimes it's just like, what, like, this is so predictable. It's like, you know, so, you know, he's, he's learning, he's growing. It's his first year play, you know, as a play caller, I get that. Um, So not knocking him too much. I just think, you know, when you don't have Linval Joseph in the game and you have Travis Frederick and Zach Martin, like, I'm going to lean on this a little bit more than I did. Even with Dak playing the way that he did, running it outside as much as they did, and and it's like, no, man, like, get downhill. Let, like, let's attack them, you know, where, you know, Linval Joseph is not. You know, I don't know. I just thought they could have ran duo a little bit more, um, especially at the end there, that play that Travis Frederick got mad on and, like, yelled at the sideline. It's like... You know, the, the interior, they had like a A or a B gap bubble. And it's like, I, I don't know, I just, you know, I, I know hindsight's twenty twenty always, but man, I, I don't know, that just kind of made me wonder, um, you know, what was going on there and why they didn't take advantage of that more. Um, and then the last game that I wanted to to talk about here is the Chiefs and the Titans. So that game was really interesting because... Um, you know, Chris Jones, uh, I thought, you know, the last couple of weeks since he's been back, he's been on a tear. I mean, he led the NFL in sacks last year, I believe, definitely for defensive tackles. He had like 17 sacks or something last year, which is crazy. Um, we, we talked about him a lot at Offensive Line Masterminds. Um, but, yeah, he, he has a great club move, and that's kind of what everything is predicated off of. And then he can also bull rush at an elite level. So, you know, that club rip, club swim, 
Um, that's pretty much what he uses to win, um, and he's he's just a problem. I mean, he his size, his length, his athleticism mixed with his ability to win down the middle or inside or outside with the club rip, club swim combos. I mean, he's just, you know, he's an elite player right now. Um, so he's a lot of fun to watch. <clears throat> the Titans were were able to get after them a little bit on the ground, though. The Chiefs, the Chiefs run defense and defensive line and defense really is just so kind of confusing because some weeks they look great, like against Denver. Uh, you know, they had like, what, 10 sacks or whatever. Um, you know, I know Frank Clark has been out. He's been injured. He may be playing hurt now. This is his first game back, um, you know, in, in a few weeks. So I get that. But it's like Derek Nandi in the middle from Florida State. He's one of the best run-defending defensive linemen in the league. They have Chris Jones. For, for whatever reason, Mike Pennell didn't play in this game. He was inactive after having a very good game last week as a run defender. That was weird. Um, so I don't really know what's going on with their defensive line aside, you know, the injuries are obvious, but it seems like their production and their consistency is just very up and down. Um, so hopefully they can get that, you know, figured out because, you know, with the offense that they do, that they have, excuse me, it'd be a shame if, you know, like their defense just gets gashed every other week, you know, like that's especially come playoff time. I mean, you're going to have to tighten up there. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens there, but I, I just thought that that was you know, sort of interesting. And, you know, the Titans, I think their defensive line is a lot of fun and really underrated. Um, starting with the interior, Jarrell Casey didn't play this game, but <clears throat> Jarrell Casey is where it all starts. He's, we talked about this a lot at offensive line masterminds and in my video on him that I did it, basically like the first 40 clips or so that I had of him, were all on stunts. Darrell Casey as the penetrator on TE stunts is he's the best in the game, in my opinion. Um, the way that he's able to his get off, first of all, is very good, and then the way he's able to find creases in between gaps, um, it really does a does wonders for the looper or the end, and it really kind of makes things easier for them. Um, and then on top of that, he's relentless. So. It's not like once he gets through there, you know, say he's running a TE and, you know, the on the left side and the left guard takes him over, um, you know, it, the left guard has to play to the whistle and really fight his ass off, really, to maintain leverage on him and to sustain blocks under O'Casey because he is fighting, he's stringing moves together, and you know that that's something that really separates him from a lot of other guys is if if his first move doesn't work it doesn't matter because he's just going to counter off of it and counter off of it and counter off of it until the play's over um so he's really a tough guy to block um each play because of you know just how relentless he is and how good he is with his hands um and then he's powerful and quick and things like that as well so it really starts with him and then Daquan Jones and Justin Simmons are very good run defenders. Daquan Jones has had a really good year this year. You watch him against Quentin Nelson, holy crap. I mean, he was just, he was, he was standing up Nelson. And this is before Nelson um, really started, you know, because Nelson, if you're watching him, if you're watching him every snap, it, you know, he's, the last few weeks, he's dealing with some lower extremity stuff. He doesn't have the same anchor. You You watch him anchor against Miami in week 10, he's hopping back, um, like, kind of exaggerating his hop and that just tells me like you know he, he really isn't the same he doesn't have the same power moving forward he doesn't have the same stopping power 
in his anchor. Um, but still, when they played, this was, I mean, I don't even know what week it was when uh, Colts and the Titans played. I think it was like week four, maybe, or let me see here. Maybe it was six. Let's see. Yeah, I think it was, man, it was, it was probably pretty early then. Yeah, week two. So, you know, this was when Nelson was, like, at the peak of his powers this year. So, Daquan Jones, that game, I highlighted it on my Twitter account. If you don't follow me, you should do that, at Brandon Thorne NFL. But Daquan Jones was standing up Nelson and, like, bending his back back. And, like, you know, it was just incredible, the the, the power and strength that he was displaying on the field. Um, and then they also have Harold Landry and Cameron Wake. I mean, so this is a really good defensive line. And Dean Pease really dials it up for them. They have a really good blitz scheme. Um, they're a very uh, multiple defense, um, so they're they're extremely difficult to prepare for. And then they, you know, Kevin Byard at the back end might be the best safety in the game. Certainly, you know, one of the five or six best, you know, like single high safeties. And he's also playing in the box a lot this year as well. So that uh that team is fun to watch. They're they're up and down, you know, certainly especially offensively, um, but. I don't know. I mean, they're five and five now, and you know they just beat the Chiefs. So uh, they're st- certainly a team that is intriguing moving forward. Um, it'll be fun to watch. Um, you know, just to kind of see if they can actually string together some wins here instead of just kind of going up and down. I think they're on a bye week this week, but they're going to come back. The Titans are in week twelve, and they got the Jaguars uh, with Nick Foles. So yeah, that that'll be a interesting game. Uh, but yeah, this was. You know, hopefully something that you guys enjoyed. You know, I'm going on almost 40 minutes now just talking, you know, football uh, and what I'm seeing each week, uh, week 10. So I'll do this moving forward. I'll try to be a little bit more um, structured uh, moving forward. I was just kind of going through my notes here. But hopefully you guys enjoyed this and got something out of it. And uh, again, thank you for listening to the Trench Warfare podcast, and I'll be back next week.